Well, we met on a blind date. I was coaching and she was teaching. We just hit it off. Chili's had to ask us to leave they, we, our they, booth. They probably, <laughs> yeah, they probably did. We went out dancing. We love to dance. We love to dance. I had a boat, a so we fished, fishing. fished a lot. So mm -hmm. drug her to the lake because I wanted to take her out on the boat. Yeah, the first fishing day, yeah. I caught the five-pound bass That's right. that you made me throw back in the That's water. That's exactly right. I wanted to put it on the wall. <laughs> She's all I could think about, and so. I guess the rest is history, is how you would say that. Probably as close to heaven, you know, as you could get. I don't think we ever had an argument till we brought our first child home. We came and you just like dumped everything on the floor and headed out to play golf with your dad. And I had this little baby screaming. You know, we fished and uh, I enjoyed playing golf and enjoyed going hunting. And when you bring a little one home, it's hard to keep doing those three and being the dad that I needed to be. So three months after we brought the first little baby home, uh, we sold the boat. Family comes before those things. Had to learn that. Learned it pretty quick, but it was hard. It was a change, but it was it was a good change. One of the reasons that we have such a strong marriage is because we are committed to the path that God chose for us to serve as public educators. It's something we've devoted our lives to. We also believe that God called us to be the parents to the two little girls that we have. That's something we dedicate our lives to. Our philosophy has always been to set a solid foundation. We always knew that our family would be raised in the church, and that would be the center, trying to be devoted members with our attendance and our gifts haven't always been perfect, but we knew that was the environment that we were going to raise our kids in. When we moved here, we tried First Methodist Mansfield and just felt an instant connection. Yeah, we felt right at home. We took a while to find a small group. It worked out pretty well because, you know, we need to be taking our girls over there on Wednesday night. And we'd be like, oh, we got to go over there, you know, and then when we left, we would feel like, golly, I'm glad we did it. We laugh a lot. There have been tears shed, there have been some significant stories shared. If you don't share those things, then you never get to that level with people. I was having a conversation with the coach during lunch duty. His daughter had been in an awful car accident and was left paralyzed. And uh, we got to talking about tithing. I just remember him telling me that day that how the Lord had blessed him so much. You know, how could that not be the first check that he writes every month? And uh, I remember thinking, here's this man that has a paralyzed daughter at home that will live there the rest of their lives. And that, that's always stuck with me. You know, why can't we? Why can't we make that our top priority if he's the one writing that first check? I was finding money for the deer lease, or I was finding money for this, but I wasn't finding the right amount for God. And it was just about making that commitment. I was nervous. I didn't know if we could do it. I, I knew we needed to. You know, where you give your statement a giving card. We weren't close to where we needed to be. And uh, we filled that out, turned it in. Maybe a week after that, uh, we went back. David really hit on uh, having faith in, in God to meet our needs. Sure. Harper called me into the office and he said, we need to do this. God's blessed us repeatedly and he's gonna continue to do it. We're gonna be okay. I've looked at finances. This is what needs to happen. It's what's right. So I guess you changed the card. Yeah, I called the church and uh, asked that lady to tear up that card and to write this amount in that we needed to make a new commitment. The message that we heard on Sunday was a, was a game changer and this is what we need to be doing. So many times God has met our needs and it was time for us to step out in faith and we have learned that we have plenty. When I made that phone call and we, and we made that commitment, it just felt like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. And now we're giving the full 10% and all these things that we were finding money for but not for God's mission didn't, that doesn't equate. Just like I had to sell the boat uh, for our family and to be a better dad, it was time to move that tithing number to the top of our financial spreadsheet and that's what we did. We are Ashley and Harper Stewart and we give to First Methodist Mansfield.
morning. Welcome to church today. Uh, if we have not met before, my name is Johnny. I serve as the lead pastor here for this worship community that we call The Well at First Methodist Mansfield. I've already got to meet a few people that are here for the very first time today. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, I hope to answer any questions for you at the end of the service if you have any. We also have people at our connecting point that would love to do that. Uh, I'm excited to wear this shirt today for the first time this season. TCU did really great. At, uh, yeah, that's right. Go Frogs. Uh, showed those Baptists who was boss on the football field. It's a statement about Baylor, if you don't know, but there's going to be tweets all over, like, now, and guess what this pastor said about churches. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. It's a good day to be in church. Um, if you have your Bible with you, we are going to uh, be in Matthew 19 and Acts 2. You did so well last week being in two parts of the Bible that we just thought we'd try it again this week. And so uh, Matthew 19 and Acts 2, if you didn't have your Bible with you today, we have blue ones in each of our worship spaces available for you to use today. Uh, If you're using that blue Bible, you can find uh, Matthew 19 on page 1532 and Acts, or sorry, not, uh, yeah, Acts 2, Acts 2 on page 1693. Uh, I'm going to share a brief sermon uh, today, and then uh, we're going to share in a time of communion uh, to close out uh, our worship worship today. So I'm excited. It's just been a good day of worship so far. I know all over campus and all of our services, um, but especially here and, and upstairs. I'm just thankful to be here today. It's a good day for that. So we're in week three of our series called Changed Lives, Changing Lives. And this whole series has been centered around asking four questions that help remind us of the mission uh, that we have been called to as a church and the work that is set before us. Those four, four questions are this, what do we do? How do we do it? What is required? And what does success look like? We ask these questions because when we have clarity around the the answers to these four questions, we can remain effective in achieving our mission. And we believe that there is no organization on earth that should be more committed to effectiveness uh, and excellence in achieving its mission than the church. So the first two weeks have been answering the first two questions. The first one, what do we do? Well, we join God in the work of changing lives, changing our own lives and changing the lives around us. And two, how do we do it? We do that through an active faith that patiently and consistently pursues God. So this week, the question that we have before us is this. If we are to join God in the work of change in our lives and in the work of change in the lives of others around us, what is it going to require from us? So to get started, we're going to look first at Matthew chapter 19. So if you found that, you can read along with me, uh, beginning in verse 16. It says this, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do? We talked about that last week, right? Not just believing, not just thinking, but doing. What must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, well, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. We've made a movie about this. You should probably see it sometime. Charlton Heston. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. But all these I have kept the young man said. 
what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, I want to sit on that word for perfect. If you're like me, when you hear that word and you think about that word, you think flawless, without blemish, right? Pristine, that's what perfect means. But if we really look at the Greek here, what Jesus said, teleos is the Greek, and that means complete. That means fully developed, brought to completion. That's, that's what teleos means. So when Jesus says perfect here, that's, so in, essentially the, the man is like, is, he's following all the commandments. He's following all, he's living it out. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. The thing that we talked about last week, his faith is active in the world. But he still feels like he lacks something. Teacher, what must I do? I feel like I lack. And Jesus says, if you want to be fully developed, if you want to be complete, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the last we hear of this young man. And this scripture, I'm sure many of you, if you've been in and around church before, you've heard this scripture before. Uh, I've heard it preached on many a times. I've heard it abused many times. I think it's important for us to really get an understanding of what Jesus is getting at here in the encounter with this man. We obviously see that there's a, a quite a large ask that Jesus has. And some of us think that somehow Jesus was disappointed in this person. If you read, this story appears in the other Gospels as well. You find it in Mark when Jesus asks or tells him that you should follow the commandments. And the man's like, I followed all those commandments, da, 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 da. Right after that moment, what Mark records is that Jesus heard him and then Jesus loved him. Before we get to possessions, before we get to giving to the poor, like Jesus loved him in that moment. There was something special about this guy. And when the guy still says, I, I feel like I still lack something, though, and then Jesus says, all right, like, if you really want to be complete, like, if you want to completely follow me, if you want to be a fully developed disciple, then this is the only thing you're lacking. And lots of, we've asked lots of questions, like, what is the problem here? Like, is it, is it the problem, does Jesus ask this because the guy is wealthy? Is that the problem, that he has money? No. But what is the problem? What, what is it that is the conflict here? What is the tension? Is, is Jesus being hyperbolic? Does he really mean go sell everything? Like sell everything you have and give it all away and then come follow me? Or does he mean sell some things and, and, and give it away? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know exactly what Jesus means here. But what I do know is this. What I do know is this. Is if we continue on in the story... Later on in, in, in the book of Acts, right, after Jesus has died and been resurrected and, and ascended into heaven, and we see these Jesus followers, the people that were following Jesus at this time, beginning what we call today the church, and they gather together. Flip over to Acts 2. That's the other thing I had you look up. Flip over there, uh, starting in verse 42. Here's the, here's the disciples gathering together, people that are followers of Jesus. This Jesus community is doing this, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. When we talk about this idea of generosity, which is what we're talking about today, there's plenty of scriptures that, that speak to that throughout uh, our Bible. Jesus talks more about money than he does almost anything else. I think the only thing he says, he says, the only words he says more are kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. That's the only thing he says more than when he talks about money. And that's for many reasons, but there's four things from these particular passages today, the reading from Matthew and the reading from Acts, that really stick out to me that I just wanted to share with you today. Some, some things as I read these two things, some things that I notice and some things that challenge me that I, that I, I want to share with you today. So the first one is this. The first thing that I learned from this passage is that living like Jesus means living generously. If you've been around this church for a little while, uh, you've heard recently that this is one of our five core values, one of the things that we deeply believe that people that call First Methodist Mansfield home, people that are followers of Jesus, this is what you do. Living like Jesus means living generously. It turns out in Matthew 19 that Jesus really meant what he said. He really did mean like there is much need out there and you have much to give. So if you really want to be brought to completion, if you want to be a true follower if you want to be a true disciple, then it's going to require you to lay down some of those things that you have worked so hard for, that you have earned, that you've deserved because you worked hard for it, but it's going, to, it's going to require you to give some of that away. That's what it's going to require of you. We believe that Jesus was the most generous person that ever lived, and the clearest expression of an individual who is living like Jesus will be that generosity giving away of themselves. So when we ask the question, if we are going to join God in the work of changing our lives and changing the lives around us, and we ask what's that going to require from us for that to happen? When we ask the question, what, what fuels this business of changing lives that we're in, the answer would be this. The business of changing lives is fueled by generosity. The business of changing lives is fueled by generosity. One of the core things we have in our, in our scriptures is for God so loved the world that he gave. Gave to us first. And so part of connecting with God is being one who gives. One who gives freely. We see this in the interaction with the young man and Jesus. There was something that was stopping this man. He, he was willing to live his faith and he had all of these, he followed all the commandments. But there was this one thing that was holding him up. But then we also see it in this life of the early church where people had this understanding of the things that they possessed as not necessarily possessing them, things that didn't own them, but things that they could use, not only to support themselves, but to bless others. And so when we talk about generosity, we're not just talking about money. We're not just talking about our financial resources. I know that's initially where we go, and that's specifically what we're talking about today. But it is more than that. 
It's about all kinds of things. It's about a generosity of spirit. It's about how we spend our time and how we give to others our attention and, and maybe the gifts and skills that we have that we can give to others uh, and give to the building of God's kingdom. It certainly includes all those things, and, and we would say that living generously is way more than about money, but we would also say that it's not about less than that. It's not about less than our money. In every situation, in all aspects of our lives, our time, our talents, our attention, our, our finances should be seen as potential. We should be giving them away to others just as God has freely given to us. The way I think of it is this way, is I want to see my whole life and everything that I have as having the potential to glorify God and to bless others. That's what I want to see. I want to be a steward of my things. I don't want to be a collector of my things. I, I, I like things. I, you know, I, I have the new iPhone. Well, not the new one anymore, but, but you know. <laughs> but I have, you know, I have a nice phone. We live in a home, we, we eat well, you know, I, but I want to I, I support my family, myself, but I also want to see everything that I have as having the potential to glorify God and bless others at the same time. Here's the second thing I learned from these scriptures today, is that money is God's biggest competitor for our hearts. Money is God's biggest competitor for our hearts. The lesson of Matthew 19 is, that, is not that money is bad, that's a, that's a poor teaching of that scripture. It's not that there's some threshold or some amount uh, of, of money or wealth that suddenly puts you in a different standing with God or with Jesus that creates different expectations for you that there's not for other people. That's a bad reading of that scripture too. I do think what we learn from this scripture is that we are most often most reluctant to trust God with our stuff. That it, we live in busy times. It's hard to give of our time. It's hard to commit. We have lots of things to do, lots of things on our agenda. But we are much more willing to find time, to find energy, than we are to find money. To give of God our resources, to trust God with that. For the longest time in my life, and, and I grew up in a, in, in a church, uh, my parents taught me the, the, the virtues of tithing, and that's what you do as a, as a follower of Jesus. And they made me, every time they gave me an allowance, they made me right there in front of them, pick out 10% and put it in an envelope so that we could bring it to church. And at the time, I was like, man, can you believe that? But, you know, I'm so thankful for it now. But for a while there, after I was done, and I could make my own decisions about money. I became what I call a thrift store giver. And this isn't anything against thrift stores, but what do we give to thrift stores? The stuff you're done with. Yeah. Stuff you don't want anymore. The stuff that you've used up and now, you know, and, and, and there's, uh, please continue to give to thrift stores, right? Thrift stores are a beautiful ministry, a, a great thing. But when I think of my life and I think of everything I have and I particularly think of my finances, I don't want to give God what I happen to have left over, what I decided not to use this go around. I want to give God everything first. I want to be willing to give God the first fruits of my labor, to bring that to God and say, I trust you with everything. I trust the work that you're doing through the church. I trust the work in my life that you're doing, God. I trust your ability to provide. And I trust that when I give, that this, this isn't everything for me, that happiness is beyond this. I trust that. 
that when we can give that first, that first amount to God, and throughout scriptures, it's, it's pretty consistent when they say 10%, which is why we use that. When we give that first 10% to God, it is a constant. Every time you write that check, every time you give, it is a constant recommitment of our life to God and making God first. And it's a reminder that we do not belong to our lifestyle. We do not belong to our things. We do not belong to our money, but we belong to God. And everything in our life is going to be used to glorify God, to serve and bless others. God may not be calling you to, to sell everything, right, and, and buy a bullhorn and then go stand on the street corner and preach the gospel. God may not be calling you to that. But I know God is calling everyone to put him first in line in our lives. I know that for a fact. The third thing I learned from, this, from these scriptures is this. An unwillingness to participate in the generosity of God will not stop God's generosity. An unwillingness to participate in the generosity of God will not stop God's generosity. Will not make God love you any less. God will not stop loving you. There's, that doesn't mean grace runs out for you. That doesn't mean there's more grace for somebody else because they're a giver. It also means that all the work that God hopes to do in the world will not stop because you don't want to give or you don't feel like you can give. Just because I don't, if I don't give, it's not stopping God. Jesus, when he was talking to this man, didn't have his fingers crossed like, I hope he says yes. Because if he doesn't, I'm like, what are we even doing here? You know, like, Looking at a guy like, I, I mean, you better work in this man because it's down to him. He is the linchpin in your designs, God. If he doesn't say yes, then I don't know what we're going to do. And in fact, he didn't. He walked away. And still, God's generosity reigned on earth. And still, people were committing and saying yes. There's many reasons why we don't. I know unwillingness sounds like a really harsh word. There's a lot of reasons why we don't give regularly, why we haven't committed ourselves to tithing. Some of us, you might feel like you can't. You might feel like you're doing all you can now to just keep a roof over your head in this moment. Maybe you've spent your way out of the potential for, for being generous and you just feel like you're so crushed under debt that there's not even margin to give. Maybe we don't want to. Maybe our lifestyle is what's more important, and, it, it, and it, it's designed, our lifestyle is designed in such a way that we spend past the ability to be generous. Or maybe you don't even understand it in the first place. <laughs> you don't trust it. Like you're happy to come to church, but when that plate comes by, there's just something that either you don't understand or that you don't trust about that. Maybe you've been burned in the past. Maybe you've been in a church that has misused money or uh, I don't know. There's all, all, all sorts of reasons why we don't. But just because we are unwilling to say yes doesn't stop God from working because there are people that are willing to do it and that will step up and do it. The question is whether or not we're going to join God in that. That's the real question. The fourth thing is this, and this is the last one. Living a generous life unleashes incredible blessing in your life. A willingness to participate in the generosity of God unleashes incredible blessing in your life. I want to read uh, quickly from Malachi chapter 3, right? Know anybody named Malachi? Me neither. Um, 
Malachi in the Old Testament, he's a prophet. There's a lot of prophets that wrote in that time. If you don't know, the tithe was actually initially instituted because people felt so blessed by God, so provided for by God, and then they wanted to build a place to worship God. And so people brought 10% of what they had to help build the tabernacle and to build the temple so that they had a place to worship. So not only was it an act of like, thanks, God, like you have provided me so much, I'm going to give back. But not only that, it served a function. It, it, it helped build a place for people to gather and worship. And these were people that left Egypt, right? They were nomads in the desert. And yet they gave of themselves so willingly. And there was, there's even a story, Pastor Jim read this story in, in, in his sermon. There's a story in Exodus of where people are just so generous and bringing so much that the, the priests, the people in charge of building the temple had to actually go to Moses and say, hey, can you tell them to stop bringing stuff? Like they're being too generous. Like we have too much. <laughs> they can hold on to that now. We're, we're not going to take up an offering this Sunday because the people have been so generous. But over the course of time, the people of Israel lost sight of that. And these prophets are coming in and saying, look, there's lots of things that we're trying to fix, lots of things about our faithfulness we're trying to do, but one of the things that we have forgotten is our generosity. And Malachi says in, in, in chapter 3, verse 10, this is a word that God has, has given to Malachi that he's then expressing to the people. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, God's house, not Malachi's house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be a not enough room to store it. Test me in this, says God. Now, I know what this sounds like. This is not prosperity gospel. I despise that. Uh, I hate that theology. If you don't know what prosperity gospel is, you can Google it later. I'm not going to spend any time on that. But there is blessing when we give that goes beyond uh, monetary blessing, a blessing of knowing that our lives and our resources are dedicated to something that's bigger than ourselves. Knowing, the blessing of knowing that we are being faithful to what God has called us to do and what God has called his people to do throughout time, the blessing of seeing lives changed and transformed and knowing that we have been a direct part of that and the blessing, this inexplicable blessing of freedom that we feel when we begin to see all of our things, when we begin to understand our lives as a stewardship and we see everything that we have with the potential to be given away to bless others, there's an incredible freedom of that that I cannot explain. But I have experienced. And I know that to be true. Seven years ago, um, Holly and I brought our very first estimate of giving card. We were engaged to be married and, you know, we wanted to start our marriage off on the right foot, right? Like, and, and, and do everything we were supposed to do as full-blown adults, you know? And, uh, and, and we, had, uh, we had received the estimate of giving card in the mail, like I know many of you have, and we heard the messages that the pastors had preached, and uh, we knew we had to respond. We, we'd grown up in, and we'd been to churches, and we knew how important giving was, um, but it just seemed like we were just beyond that. We were not regular tithers at the time. We were we were thrift store givers. We gave and we had a little extra at the end. Um, and we had a little money left over. But money was tight for us. We had one full-time job between the two of us. And we were living paycheck to paycheck like many, um, many young people do. And we had some student loans. We had some credit card debt and a few other debts outstanding uh, that we needed to pay off and wanted to pay off. And plus, on top of all of that, like any soon-to-be newlywed, we wanted to buy a house. We had lots of hopes and dreams. 
and we knew we wanted to give, and, and we just kept thinking that one of these days, <laughs> one of these days, we're going to have everything together, and then we can be generous. One of these days, we're not going to be living paycheck to paycheck. One of these days, we're going to have all this stuff paid off. One of these things, we're going to be. One of these days, we're going to be put together, and then we can be generous. Then we can give. Then we can tithe. But something kept pulling on us that year, and we, and we kept feeling it. We kept feeling this tug, like this is where we were being called to. And I kept hearing over and over again in my heart that verse from Malachi, that God says, test me in this and see that I don't fling open the floodgates of blessing so much so that you won't even know what to do with it. I kept hearing that, and I finally it was just, all right, God, this is on you. Like you said it. As we filled out our card, the full 10%, it really hurt <laughs> at the time. Because, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money. 10% is a lot. And looking at everything we were hoping to do, we thought there's no way without this, there's no way we're going to be able to accomplish this. I don't know what we're going to do. But we were faithful and we did it. We stepped out there in faith and we gave. We did the full 10%. And, and here we are seven years later and you know, we were by no means rich in, an, in a worldly sense, but man, do we feel rich. We were able to meet all of our goals as a family. And it's not that money started showing up in our mailbox or a money tree grew in our yard, unfortunately. That would have been nice. But we found that amidst all those blessings that I talked about, getting to see that money work in ways that we could never make it work, right? To see it bless people and to see how this church has even just been transformed over those over those years, to see that, to know that we were a part of that. But even more so than that, when we committed that first 10% to God, it radically changed the way we saw the other 90%. Radically changed. And somehow, even though more money wasn't coming into our home, in fact, more money was going out of, out of our home, it seemed like it was the money that we had was going much further. And this is the inexplicable part. It's, I, I don't think it's, it's magic in any sort of way. I don't think that giving and tithing is God's get-rich-quick plan uh, for us. But I do think that there is something spiritual that takes place when we put first and foremost, I love the way Harper put it in that thing, that he, 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 he moved tithing and giving to God to the top of the spreadsheet. When we put that first and, and money loosens its grip on our hearts, it's amazing the way our lives change. And every year since, we've been able to increase our giving. We love to do that. On top of that, one of the things that we love to do is we've uh, just, as generosity has been on the forefront of our families, we've been able to put together a slush fund that we love and, you know, that we can respond to uh, times of generosity when we see other people, people we love or things that come up that, you know, want, uh, we want to give to that over and above what we already give to the church. We've been able to do that. It's been such a blessing in our life all because we trusted God and put God first. And has that come with sacrifice? Absolutely. Absolutely. That first time, that was hard. And, and there's th things that we've had to say no to, things that we've had to cut back on, things that we've had to compromise on. We've seen peers of ours uh, being able to do things that we have not been able to do. But just as I said in that video, like it does not compare to the blessing that we've received in our lives and the way that we've been able to live into this generosity. It requires us to live differently, but in such a better way. And I can tell you with confidence that it doesn't feel much like a sacrifice anymore. 
We don't get our yearly giving statement and go, oh man, look what we could, you know what we could have done with all that money? Instead, we look at it like, oh my gosh, can you believe we gave that much money away? Can you believe that? Can you believe all the things that, that were able to be done, all, all the work that was able to be accomplished because of that? And to see over the year how that number has grown, I mean, it's just been amazing to us. This year, we're going to do the same thing that we've done for the past seven. We have our estimate of giving card here. We're going to pray over this card. We're going to bring it back next week and, and the, with confidence and joy in our hearts the way that God's going to use this money and the way God's going to bless us and, and work in us. And we're happy to do that because that temptation could creep in and say, what, would, what could happen if you don't have that money? But instead, I hear God's voice and it says, look what I can do when I do have this. I tell you the story for two reasons. The first is this. It's not to brag, but I want to tell you that I would never ask any of you to do anything that I don't already do, something I believe so firmly in. I wouldn't ask anybody to do something that I'm not already doing myself. And the second reason I tell you this is that many pastors, lots of churches right now are doing their, their stewardship campaigns. Many pastors, I know, uh, like to warn people when this sermon's coming. Uh, some even on that Sunday, they like to apologize up front for those that are visiting for the first time that they came to church today and maybe even apologize to people that come to church all the time that this is the, this is the Sunday that you showed up. This is the Sunday you could have stayed home, but you showed up this Sunday. And I know most pastors feel nervous or a bit uncomfortable when giving this message, but I don't. I don't because I've experienced the promises of God in scripture when we're generous. I've lived it. I believe it. And it, I know it's uncomfortable. I know for many it's uncomfortable to hear, especially if you've never done this before. I know it's uncomfortable to hear, but I also know that if I didn't share with you what I've experienced in my life, the joy and the peace and the freedom that I've, I, that would be irresponsible of me as a pastor. So I have to share it. So what I want to ask each of you to do this week is to take your estimate and giving card that you received in the mail if you've lost it or you've thrown it away, we have some in the seat backs that you can uh, take with you. You don't, you don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> but I want you to take it home with you. And whether it's just you or you have a family, I want you to pray over that card. And the way God might use you, use your money, use your generosity, and that number that you might write down in there. For some of you, this is going to be the very first time, and it might hurt a little bit. For others of you, you've been doing this for years. I want you to do it again. I want you to fill it out again. I want you to pray over it. I want you to pray how God's going to use that. I want you to pray how God's going to work and transform your heart and your life because of that generosity. And then next week, I want everybody to bring it back because we're going to conclude our service next week with a special time where we all get to bring it forward and pray over it and celebrate together our shared sacrifice and our shared generosity. Even if you already give regularly and that number's not changing, if you've set up to where, like me, where it automatically gives online, I still want you to fill one of these out and bring it, bring it anyways. The business of changing lives is fueled by generosity. Your generosity, my generosity, our generosity, God's generosity. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is when confronted with that call to be generous, are we going to walk away sad? 
Or are we going to say yes and choose to follow? I hope you'll join me in following God and living that generous life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for our time of worship today. We thank you for the blessing it is to be alive in your presence with us. We thank you for your generous spirit, God. We thank you for the way you give to us each and every day, the gift of your grace, the gift of your love. We pray now this morning, God, that we could follow you in that generosity. God, that we can trust you with our whole lives. We can step out in faith when you say, test me in this, that we will, God. And that we will experience your blessing in a way that we never have before. In your name we pray. Amen.